The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Like right now, there's a minimum bike parking that you have on the site. Um, but e- even saying and you have the maximum vehicle parking. But, you know, I'd like to see opportunities for that ratio to change. I think the numbers as written in the PUD give you the flexibility in that carport to switch them over to more class B bike parking. Um, but I wanted to kind of offer that up as an idea as well. So, so you're, you would say you. Um, take one of the car bays and, and turn it yeah, into Yeah, you can parking. put four, four, six parking spots. So uh, that is an opportunity I don't see as an amendment to the PUD, but a maximum setback uh, might be something that I'm going to offer up as a discussion point. I think those are my questions for now. Thank you. Thank you. Would anybody else like to speak? Commissioner Mills. All right. Um, thank you very much for this. And thank you for also laying out the timeline. I vaguely recall the PUD meeting, but it felt so long ago I couldn't end COVID. It was it was really hard to put that in time. That, that may have been BC. I'm not sure. It was I. Yeah, it feels like. I mean, I think it was pre-COVID, yeah, right? Yeah, then. Yeah. Um. So thanks for the stick-to-itiveness and for a design that I think enhances this corridor and doesn't. You know, there's elements of this that make it clear <laughs> that it it does not date to the historic district, but also is not completely out of place. Um, I I often go through the supplemental regs. Um, I concur with Commissioner Sauvey that if one of the benefits is about pulling things up, that offering or putting in a maximum there makes a whole lot of sense just in case something happens to this project, it would tie any future development to that. Um, and it has no effect on yours <laughs> right now. I, I would like to say too, just because it's cool, <laughs> and this was Shannon's idea actually. Um, but um, the uh, the historic commission, we used to have a kind of a garden steps going down to that uh, that apartment, and, and um, they wanted us to change that, which we were happy to do. But um, you know, we kind of took the inspiration from the St. Andrew's Church up the block, and actually, I have the same type of stone. You can't see it on the house, but um, as it exists now, but the Foundation is a cut cut block foundation for one quarter of the existing foundation now And so we're going to use that and build the masonry wall out front and the really the idea is to really activate that spot and make a nice um, Spot for the tenants in the in the garden apartment and also something that will bring sunlight in and and into the, uh, Right in that door there is kind of like the common space the kitchen and the living room for that for that unit I think that's yeah, I think in terms of design. It's great I was often, you know, I kind of compare what we're seeing versus what's in the PUD regs. And I don't, unless I missed this, this is for staff. I didn't see anything about height, which I vaguely recall last time too, when we talked about this, saying like, if anything in the future, we may want more, like not tying ourselves necessarily to that. Is that, am I recalling that right? And, or did I miss that in the regs? Like uh, I just bringing, the, bringing, and this is actually for Mr. Chair, Chang for yeah, just a Chair, minute. Uh, Abrams, I was just going to ask, can you ask the petitioner to please stop and let Commissioner Mills ask her a question? It's yep. directed to staff, not to you. Yep. Um, Mr. Chang, in terms of the, uh, there's no height limit in there, right? And instead it's kind of the floor area. Is that the, 
kind of the limiting feature here? Yeah, I believe that's correct. And I have, these are draft supplemental regulations. I'm, I have no problem putting in a, a 25 foot max front setback and we can set also a, a maximum height uh, on the structure. We can add that in there before this goes on to council. I don't necessarily know that it's, I'm not bothered by height. I'm not, I don't feel like constraining that is super important. I just wanna make sure that I, I'm thinking about that right. Um, I would add that I know one of the issues that Mr. Selby had brought up that there were there were a lot of whether it was utilities or or density or but one of them what is Mr. Selby could probably tell you we had fire department reviews and there might be issues if you were to you know raise this roof anymore because with the solar panels on there there were there were you know fire access issues so I'm not sure even if he, he wanted to go higher that he would be able to go higher. I have, I want, I was going to say, I've got a list here. I want to know more about kind of your experience. Uh, I don't want to lose something though. Let me go back to, let me, I need to write it down so I don't forget it. Um, uh, okay. While we're t talking about that, I have the list, uh, water main. Um, I heard capricious process the costs associated with this. Can you tell us more kind of about, because there's been a couple of times in, in I think since we've seen you um, for the kind of pre-meeting on the PUD uh, where we have talked about how either regulation, zoning regulations or other development processes are impacting modest size projects, small to medium sized projects. And so I'm curious, uh, some of those things we tried to remedy, um, but would not necessarily be in PUDs. Can you talk specifically about like, there's something in the zoning ordinance that, w that served as a hindrance, or when you said, talked before about kind of these other, the other experiences, like can you, can you help us better understand kind of what made this so hard? And long and expensive. Um, well, first of all, it took a long time. So um, twice there was some new rule that came up that meant that we were gonna that it was no longer viable, uh, and so it went into this major, you know, kind of like, oh well, we can't do the project now because uh, what was a rule before is now or was not a rule before is now a rule. Do you remember what those rules were? Well, um, one was um, that uh, uh, we needed to, um, this came up, this is one of the things that made the project take another year, um, was that it came up that um, we were uh, going to need to have low income housing as well, uh, which for a four unit building just, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. And um, so the city's response was you can pay $260,000 and get around it. That didn't work either. I'm right on the edge of being able to afford this as it is. Um, so, but that took about two months to to resolve, and 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 to this day, I believe that that ordinance was misread. Um, so, that caused a year delay um, as a result. And um, I'd have to go back and look at it. But there there's been a, a couple things like that where a regulation changed. I think the probably the biggest thing though is that. And I kind of get this from the whole pandemic thing happening to some extent, but um, 
you know, I used to be able to come down to the city and sit down with two or three people and talk to them face to face and we would barter it out and figure out how to get past an issue and you just can't do that anymore. And, um, and, it, and it feels like everybody's in their silo and that's, their issue is the most important issue because that's what they do for their job every day and I get that but um, what ends up happening is that you have this person wants this and this person wants that and they are mutually exclusive and um, there's just doesn't seem to be the same ability for people to get together and say, hey, how are we going to solve this? You know, like, I, I feel like this project could have been in the exact same form it was uh, within about six months if we had had that opportunity to sort of go through these and say, what is important to the city? Um, is it that there's, you know, room for enough trash containers out in the street or is the landmark tree out in front more important? You know, so it's, it's just, um, it's expensive and it's uh, really time consuming because it, every time one of those things comes up, it's a couple months. And I just feel like there needs to be better communication overall. So competing demands between different departments or different kind of uh, services, is that? Yeah, and I, I feel like there should be somebody that sort of uh, is in charge of the process um, that has the ability to work between, say, engineering and planning Things like that is where things go awry, and it's really hard to get over them now, especially when you know you're talking about dealing over email, and it's just you know it's easier for people to get dug in. Um, I don't know; those are those are some of the things. I, I just um, I feel like there needs to be uh, somebody in the city that can take a project and say, okay, I'm going to put all these people together, and we're going to figure out how you know if this is important to the city, let's figure out how to you know, get what we need out of it and make sure that, you know, that the, the, the person who's putting the project together knows what they're supposed to do because time goes on and things change and then you're having to, you know, go and redo your project again and I've had that happen on this one too, where I had to figure out a new way to build it and, you know, all that's just expensive. Um, thank you. One more question for you before I have a couple for staff. Uh, and this is, um, prior to changing the parking requirements, we, I, I at least, I don't want to speak for everybody else, was led to believe that it was really the parking requirements, parking minimums that were driving six bedroom units in the city. That because parking was tired, tied to the number of units, it didn't make a difference if you had a one bedroom or a six bedroom, you had to provide the same amount of parking. And so uh, that was really driving six bedroom units. But you don't have any parking minimum requirements and we're still seeing six bedroom units. So can you help us explain why? Well, I, I tried really, really hard to make all of the R4C requirements here. So the, the, the variances that existed were pretty minor in nature. For instance, the, the building does meet the height requirements for, for the mm -hmm. zoning. Um, and at the time when I started it, we needed six parking spots. Well, that's, you know, what we have, so not a problem. Um, and we had planned to, you know, to put charging stations out there from the very beginning anyway. Um, but that's where we, that's where it started is five years ago, there was a parking requirement. Um, I, I don't mind having that parking there, but I, I uh, you know, some people are still going to have cars, but... Um, uh, but it, it just, you know, at the time there was, there, you know, we were trying to hew as closely as we could to what the R4C regulations were because we didn't, you know, 
We just wanted those handful of variances to be pretty minor in nature and you know, not something that would kill the project. Okay, so six bedroom units are rentable. I, I guess that's the fundamental question. Like before we heard there's a bigger market for smaller unit, like smaller bedroom units, but that's not, you're not worried about renting this with six bedroom units. No, and um, you know, uh, talking to uh, to one of the landlords who has about you know 100 units around Carytown, this is kind of how he does does it too, and uh, he said he liked his six bedrooms best. <laughs> this is kind of funny because he said that four is the worst because there cannot with four a tyrant can arise, and with six there's another faction that will beat the tyrant <laughs> down. <laughs> Okay. So I'm like, that's fascinating from a human standpoint, but uh, anyway, that's uh, that's where we we originally got the idea from. He has a lot of success with his six bedroom units. Okay, thank you. I think the rest of the questions that I have are for Mr. Chang. So, Mr. Chang, going back to the supplemental regulations, I just want to make sure that effectively, what's in section three, where it talks about the benefits. Um, the last bullet in D, this building is to be a net zero energy all electric building. That is what's tying, like, that is required no matter what happens. That, that they're tied to making sure that however, whatever the flexibility in terms of the floor area, whatever the height, ultimately anybody, if we approve this PUD, the next person is tied to that. Is that right? That's 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 correct. Okay. Um, and then similarly, they'd be tied to the benefits of utilizing the carport and roof to install solar panels. And you're really explicit in terms of like the number of panels. I feel like maybe yes, the number of panels. I just it was in section four. There's it's clear about the number of panels. I just didn't necessarily see anything, and maybe I need to control F here, that like explicitly banned a natural gas connection. Is that, unless yeah, I missed and, that. And we can we confirm that up in, in the supplemental regs. I think that would suggest to me that it's not just, you know, here are the goals, but like, give that a little bit more teeth within section four, I would feel much more comfortable with that. And that's the intention, right? That's. I will not put natural gas in a house that I build. Great. Um, and the only other thing that I had for you, Mr. Chang, is from, <laughs> you mentioned kind of fire marshal and in the staff report, there appeared to be some uh, comments at, at, I am, I think from forestry that it's still uncomfortable potentially with this. So maybe um, could you <laughs> can you shed some additional light on um, how, from your perspective, this what are some of the bottlenecks that this project exposes in terms of um, getting more projects like this? Sure, I'll go back to it. Is just touch on the zoning. The underlying zoning is R4C. And so you'll see a lot of six bedroom units because our code allows for six unrelated individuals to live in the R4C. If this were zoned R1 or R2, which are single or two family, you could only have you know, four individuals living in each unit. So it all depends on the zoning district. So that's how you're gonna see why there's either you know, four units in some 
that are proposed and six and others. It's it's probably has more to do with the underlying zoning than anything else to, to try to probably maximize your density. Uh, as far as with the with the forestry, you know, I did have some dis some discussions. Um, you know, from the foresters' perspective, you could you could almost say, well, maybe this is self-imposed because you're you're making this a bigger you know going from a three thousand square foot uh, you know uh, you know four unit uh, quadplex to something that's nine thousand. Well, in in and the thinking is, well, you're, you're kind of self-imposing. You could have made something smaller and moved that that uh, that carport, you know, back 10 more feet. So it meets the 15 feet. I put it, hopefully it was in the staff report, I think at the end of my discussion, at least from my comments is, well, that's why it's a PUD. We're going to have flexibility so we can have, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially it's screening from a parking lot. So it's just a surface parking lot. And if you kind of look at the elevations, the carport really does, if you're at ground level screen from from that parking lot. So I looked at it in the sense, even if you were to move that carport, maybe another 10 feet to give you 50, the 15 foot width and you were going to you know, plant, you know, some deciduous trees or something in there. I'm not sure you're going to get any more screening, but you're not screening from residential. You're screening from a surface parking lot. So I can see where the forester is coming from. But I also think with the flexibility of the PUD that they are doing the best they can. They are putting in a five foot sliver in there. They are putting up a four foot fence in there along with the carport to screen. But again, we'll have to make that decision. Do, would you rather have it you know, set back further so you can screen a parking lot? That's really what it comes down to. And I, I would say that I'm in favor of leaving it just the screening or at least the, um, the supplemental regs that it's, it's just a five foot setback uh, to the east of the parking lot. Um. One point of clarification, I think when you started out by talking about the uh, underlying zoning and, you know, six bedrooms or unrelated individuals in in kind of the multifamily districts, but we're creating a new zoning district here. <laughs> so they're not beholden to that. So I'm curious, like that's or is it are you suggesting that they're beholden to it because if they had 24 bedrooms in eight units so instead had three bedroom units that that would then trigger the affordable housing component because they would be exceeding okay so you can't yes. they, so in order for the the money the kind of the numbers to work out they can't exceed the number of units even though it would be the same number of bedrooms which is another thing that's yep. crazy. I got I got lists now. Be ready for petition or uh, commission proposed business. Um, thank you. Okay, just wanted to like talk it out and make sure I wasn't being crazy. Um, and I'll just say so that people know why I'm bringing this up later. Conflicting land use buffers haven't come up in a in a hot minute. I feel like not Im like immediately, but they come up an, a lot. They have come up a lot. So. Uh, I think that needs to go back on our work plan somewhere. Um, okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Abrams. <laughs> sure. Commissioner Dish. <clears throat> Could I, temporary Chair Abrams? Yeah. Um, so um, I, I just wanna be clear. I have, a, I, I have a different perspective. I disagree with what uh, City Planner Cheng said. I, I wanna be clear about the energy efficiency aspects of this. Those are not a requirement in the planning and development. The only requirement currently is that solar capacity be installed. Because the supplemental regulations do not tie 
only this plan, that is, it's only referencing that plan, this, this approved site plan has those components, but if these are adopted, a new plan theoretically could come and it would be measured against the supplemental regulations, not that site plan. We've talked about this previously, particularly when we're talking about a energy efficiency standard that is measured over time, I don't know that it's appropriate to put that in a plan unit development standard because if the requirement is, is that this is net zero, the project is realized and at year two or 10 or 20, it is not net zero. One, I don't know that that is a measurement that the city wants to get in the business of doing and two, what is the consequence at, at that time? So if there's a desire to add a requirement of certification, I would really emphasize that it be something that is a snapshot in time, not something that requires an ongoing performance, which any standard around net zero yeah. or lead to my understanding would often come into play. The so um, prohibiting natural gas, an easy condition to add. That's something that can be definitely uh, to be attained. Um, and then just there was some there was some conversation. I appreciate Mr. Selby's frustration. I want to own that the part of that was me, uh, the interpretation of the affordable housing requirement. Um, my record showed that that was a conversation that I had with Mr. Selby between January 28th and February 9th of 2022, when this permit came in, uh, when this application came in and the uh, pre-submittal, pre-petition meeting at the Planning Commission was presented to you on November 10th, 2020. So there was also a question about when that came to this board. So um, I just want to give some of those timing aspects as well. Following up on that, thank you. Thank you uh, both for bringing that up. And I think natural gas gets us half the way there. I, on, yes, I, it's, it was a long time ago that we had this discussion, right? About net zero, like, about this? I don't, do you have, I don't know when the conversation was about the pre-petition. Well, I mean, we've, we've had it periodically. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, tying some sort of energy efficiency measure in here seems wise to me. And I am both deferring to some of your expertise, because I know that this is, uh, one of the things that you do, but also to staff in terms of if, is it like, what is the measure? A, C, A, I don't know what the blower door test you want to get to a low number, like, right? Like below two or something. I don't know. Is that the right measure that we would want to use or, and maybe this is deferring because I think that that's really important too. Like that the next person not just have natural gas, but that they do something yeah, has a building that kind of is not blowing through electric heating <laughs> if this one doesn't get built. So I if, go ahead. If yeah. I can make, you know, any kind of recommendations here, um, passive standards are 0 0.6 ACH 50, which means uh, buildings under 50 pascals of pressure and uh, or depressurization. And uh, so that's your leakage test to get to a passive standard. Personally, um, if somebody is not seeking passive standards, I would always try to get there, but uh, anything below one is a very good result. Um, I would also say, you know, uh, no natural gas, that's a gimme. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, it's, it's not, there, there, there is various softwares you can use to figure out your um, annual energy consumption. Um, can't do that with natural gas, but if you have an all electric building. And one of those is a, a software called Woofy. Uh, that the uh, passive health standard uses um, to um, basically
do the math on the building. And that is what I've used here. Now, one thing I do not have control of is somebody might decide to, I mean, I think they, you know, it would be stupid if they did, but you know, they might decide they want it 90 degrees in their room and leave a space heater on mm -hmm. or something like that. I can't control that. Right. Uh, but what I can control is that we know that under these parameters of the building's operation, this is how much it will use, and we went actually 10% above that, but I'm calling it five as a safety factor. Uh, knowing that that's how you've designed it, cool. I'm trying to think about, again, like how we can ensure that the future, you know, like how we tie it into here. So my sense is, I'm glad that the, like the oh, ACH, I didn't write it down. What is ACH it? ACH 50. ACH, okay. That seems like a reasonable thing, I, but I also defer to others in terms of the, I'm thinking back to the presentations, the webinars to, uh, from the Energy Commission um, with the Passive House guy in Pennsylvania, right? Tim O'Brien. Exactly. So, and I feel like that seems like the right number. I don't know, I don't know Mr. Leonard or Mr. Chang if it makes sense. I'm less, it's less important to me that it's a specific, like, program and more like the metric that's associated with it. And I would also feel comfortable with you guys working out what the right number is or the right language beyond, after us. But I'm, what do you all think? Or what do you, the two of you think on that? Uh, for my sense, I'm comfortable with that. Um, what I would take that instruction is, is that the PUD regulations would be modified to include a energy efficiency standard. Um, I would probably work closely with our Office of Sustainability and our building department to determine what that point and best point in time measure is. Yeah. And we would just report that out to the city council when this petition uh, proceeded to the city council that that was added since planning commission arrived and the basis for selecting the standard that we did. Great, okay. So to my knowledge, just for everybody else's benefit, continue conversation, but I got three things that it sounds like, at least three things that we talked about changing in here. Can I, can I address yeah. it quickly? I, I, um, I think it would be really smart if the city would uh, utilize some of the um, experts in this field um, to help them devise and design regulations around that uh, rather than kind of doing it in a vacuum. Um, there are certain parameters to any building and it's hard to get a one size fits all approach. Thank you. Anything else, Mr. Leonard? Okay, Commissioner Dish. Well, that was really helpful because I was going to, I was going to ask whether the energy efficiency features were in the supplemental regs and if they could be. And so you guys just had that whole discussion and I really appreciate that. Um, I, I wanted to thank the, uh, all of the participants in the public discussion. And um, I wanted to acknowledge that, uh, that, that there are clearly different feelings about this pro project in, among those in the neighborhood. Um, I very much appreciated hearing that you will be using curbside trash collection. So some of the concerns that have been raised about detrimental effect on the neighborhood um, may have been based on a, on a misunderstanding about how trash will be collected. Um, it is really important 
to value and preserve our old Fourth Ward historic district. But this building, it, it would seem really unreasonable to imagine restoring this building to a condition it kind of was never in in the first place. So I don't even know what one would use to restore a building to a model of the 1830s when most of it was moved there in the 40s. So I understand, uh, I understand the value of this district. I represent this district. I am so pleased to hear uh, Chris Crockett call in and affirm the work that you did with the old Fourth Ward uh, and also everything you went through to, to, to be sure that this is a non-contributing place so that you can modify it. We wouldn't be seeing you if that weren't true. We wouldn't be seeing you here. Um, this is not germane, but I wanted once again to reassure Chris Crockett, if she's still on the line, that Kingsley is in the CIP. That's our capital improvements plan. That's where we schedule things we're really going to do. It's in there for 2024, and it's aligned with a water main replacement. And so that's probably a good thing for you, Mr. Selby, because it's in your area. But she did raise that concern when she called, and uh, I hate to let a constituent uh, agonize when we do have an answer for her. So I was also going to ask about bike parking, but Lisa already did that. I mean, sorry, Commissioner Sove already did that. So um, I am, you know, I am, I am thrilled to be in the position where a petitioner lectures us about the need to meet sustainability goals rather than the other way around. And I really look forward to seeing this project. Thank you. Commissioner Weish. Thank you. Um, first, I just want to address the public. Thank you for um, participating and the, the feedback. And I didn't catch your last name, Ed McHenry, but if you want to send, or I'm sorry, McHoney maybe, if you want to send the rest of the comments that you weren't able to read, um, we can give you the email address and then you can send them in uh, so that we can uh, make sure that we uh, fully hear what you have to say. And I want to uh, thank the tenants uh, for coming in and speaking up about the human side of development and uh, what the impacts of our Heisen crisis has on you. And um, I just appreciate you coming and sharing that with us. So thank you. My questions, um, I want to start with uh, staff. So. If we can go back to the conversation that uh, Commissioner Mills started with the uh, zoning and the PUD, I just have some clarifying questions because I thought I was okay and then our conversation got me a little out of sorts, so I just want to clear clarify a few things. So I'm in the supplemental regulations document for the PUD, and uh, can you start by just clarifying that uh, point D means that this is going to stay with this development, regardless of if this thing is built. No. Under which section? Under section three. So, because I'm trying to get to what the benefits are, and are these the benefits, these four items that are noted, and would these stay with the development? Those are the findings, yep. the required benefits, requirements achieve the benefits 
are in section four. Okay. So only the items in four are going to stay with the development. Correct. Okay. So then, um, can can either you, Mr. Lerner, or Mr. Cheng, um, clarify? I couldn't find in the UDC uh, the floor area ratio for R4C. Is there one? Chris, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, yeah. um, there's not a floor area ratio, although there's, there's a minimum lot area per dwelling unit. Correct. So um, what, what was behind the maximum of 10,000 square feet here? So, the, so I gave a little bit of flexibility when I was discussing this with the petitioner. I believe it's a 9,000 yep. some odd square foot building. So if they ever did some type of addition, they would not have to come in and do, you know, some type of, you know, an amendment to the PUD. So it's okay, not so exact, this is, but that 10,000 is, is within a couple hundred square feet. So this is for the petitioner to be able to do an addition without having to come back and modify the PUD. Yes. Okay. I, I gave flexibility on the floor area, on the setbacks, on the drive width. I mean, not a lot, but enough that, you know, if you go out there and if it's a three and a half foot side setback, I gave three feet in case, you know, there's, there's issues out there. So, yes, there's flexibility built in. Okay. And then in the UDC, our open space requirement for R4C is what? I believe it was, what, 35%? Give me one second here. And we're adjusting down to 23 here. It's it's actually 40. It's it's 40 percent. Yes. So, yes, with the coverage of of uh, the impervious surface on site with the building and the carport and the drive. Yes. And in fact, I think it's yes. That sounds right. 23 percent. Okay. Um, and then with the the setbacks. So again, if we were using R4C, the setback is 25 feet on the front and so part of the benefit here is we're going to bring that forward and then we just had a conversation about making a maximum to this so that that activation if this development isn't done stays with the PUD and that we won't get anything that's set back more than 25 feet which would assume that it's staying within the existing R4C. Is that correct? Okay. Yep, we can add we can add that. Okay. And so and then could you just clarify the driveway width? The driveway width is approximately ten feet. Um, a multifamily requires, I believe, between eighteen and twenty-four. But if and this were a one-way drive, it, you know, ten feet would be sufficient, but it's not, it's two-way drive. So, and, and is that because of the fire egress? Is that to allow the fire trucks in? Like, why do we have that requirement in the R4C? Does it assume a bigger so, lot, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm wondering about. And so that's why you made the um, recommendation to make it less. Yes. I mean, the PUD does allow for, you know, reductions, whether it is for setbacks, height, uh, driveway parking, the PUD does allow for those changes. Okay. Okay, so then uh, the other questions uh, that I had came from the petitioner when uh, the petitioner noted that they would have, uh, that he would have the same variance of a 400 unit development on a 20 acre lot. And then I heard three um, prevailing issues 
One was the conflicting land use buffer, which I think you are resolving because it's uh, coming up against a paved parking lot as opposed to a residential. Is that correct? Correct. And then uh, we, it was the setback on the north or the front of the development, which we just talked about. And mm -hmm. then uh, the driveway width uh, issue. I think Commissioner Mills tried to ask a similar question in this vein around what the variances between would be, and that got into the conversation around the units and the parking. So we're still building a six unit, six bedroom with one parking space type of development, even though that wouldn't be necessary here. And that's sort of the petitioner's preference. Are you asking me? Well, no. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, uh, I mean, essentially, when this when this project started, they were required to have the minimum of six parking spaces. Right, but they, then that went away, and so correct. and so at this stage, this is because the petitioners decided to build it this way that it is this way. It's no longer because of the requirement of the parking. I I believe that's correct. That may be a question for for Mr. Selby. Sure. But and then yes. you. Then you, you mentioned the part of our code that requires, that restricts more than six unrelated individuals from living together in a unit as a, as a part of your answer to Commissioner Mills. Did you wanna say more about that? Um, because I've, I've questioned why that's in the code and we've had two conversations about it, that there was a building code requirement or sort of a safety issue that was underlying that and then I was concerned uh, about like is this a legacy thing that was in our code because we were being a different kind of community when this was drafted and we wanted to restrict unrelated people and when we look even further back we can see that this actually has a lot to do with the control of the movement of human bodies um, around in our communities and so is there any more about that that you wanted to share? Commissioner White, I'm, I can, uh, maybe I'll take a stab at Thank that. You. So it is a legacy code. It mm. is in the past and currently the city has regulated that the size, who can occupy a household should be regulated. It defines a family and, in, and it provides an alternative. If it is not a family, it can be up to uh, a certain number of unrelated in, individuals. In, the majority of our districts, it's four. In the R4 district, it's six. Um, so it um, is is definitely a long time provision. Um, I think it's also come out of some court cases historically that um, challenged um, the city's definition of family at one point in time. So I think there's also some judicial background to that standard as well. But none of that would be at play since this is a PUD and it's a different zoning. No, the PUD could stipulate. So these supplemental regulations do default to the R4C to define uses. Um, I think that occupancy would fall into that category. But yes, the Planning Commission and the City Council could choose to uh, apply a different standard, um, but it should be called out if that's a desire. Okay. Okay. I think uh, those were the questions that I wanted uh, clarified. Thank you.
Thank you, Commissioner Weish. Commissioner Dish, small comment. I'm sorry, I just wanted to clarify one small point. Um, I wanted to, um, I wasn't being quite systematically, uh, systematic enough with Ms. Ely who spoke. Um, we did talk about the solid waste trucks. You asked the very, very good question whether the petitioner can deviate from net zero. Um, and the, the answer, let me see if I got this right. The answer is that net zero is not in the supplemental regulations, which cannot be deviated from either by this petitioner or should this project fail any future person. So the supplemental regulations are what you look at to see what is hard and fast. But in an effort to preserve as much of that as we can, we have just at the table tonight put, asked to have added to the supplemental relation, uh, regulations a prohibition on a gas hookup to this property. So it will be electric. And we have asked to have staff uh, include an energy efficiency measure, which will require them choosing one and explaining to city council why, the cho why they chose the one that they did. So that's an energy efficiency measure. It's not gonna guarantee us that this building is net zero, not guarantee, but it will allow us to monitor and know what the building turned out to be. So there is an effort to, um, to, to respond to, I think, your, your very fair question. Did I get anything wrong? Okay. Commissioner Hammerschmidt. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> thank you very much for bringing this project to us. Thank you also for your comments and insights on how challenging it's been to sort of negotiate with um, city staff. I don't think you're alone <laughs> in this community. Um, so we'll keep fighting. I just have a few questions. Um, we got a, uh, an email from a med student who was concerned about the construction noise as she, I think it was as she sleeps during the day, but I, I read in something, um, you're, are you gonna be panelizing? Or you're building offsite? The um, foundation is panelized, it'll be installed in two days. The uh, above grade building is 15 modules. They will be built in a factory in Bay City. Uh, and shipped here, so the building will be dried in in about two, maybe three weeks. That's awesome. So, obviously, so it definitely decreases that. Um, there will be a lot of noise and sort of yeah. that kind of stuff when we're doing the underground work and the, the earthwork. But um, uh, after that, I, I think you know overall it's probably less than most. That's exactly what I wanted to point out. That this, I mean, while there always always is noise with construction, this should be a lot less noise. Um, can you, I was really intrigued by when you mentioned the, the program to train students. Can you just talk a little bit more about what that might entail? Yeah, uh, Builders and Remodelers Association of Greater Ann Arbor Bragg uh, is, uh, has a foundation that they've run for a long time, um, since the 70s, I think, maybe even earlier. Uh, but they have about 30 high school students from all the area high schools around here. Um, and every year they build a home and um, in years past, they would uh, uh, have lots and they would build homes on lots and then they would sell the home and that's how the foundation continued. And it's really meant to give uh, students who are maybe not looking to go to college or looking for alternative careers a way to, um, uh, to, you know, to give them some skills. Um, you know, I, 
I, I, I did go to college and had a laboratory career that I fled, and I've been so happy to be a builder. And, um, you know, I just, uh, so I, I'm a real strong believer in the program. Uh, you know, the company I uh, founded and used to work at, Meadowlark, uh, has hired many of those people over the years. Um, it's a great program. And, um, you know, my goal is usually they're kind of focused on the studs and the nails and kind of building a house. And, you know, um, having been a framer myself, it's really, it's a, it's a great thing and all that. But um, uh, because this is a modular building, they're going to, they would be more focusing on heating and cooling and plumbing mm -hmm. and uh, the, you know, the MEP aspects of it. And also, you know, there is carpentry involved, but... Um, Really, the idea would be to develop, develop a curriculum that gets them ready for the next phase that we really desperately need as people who understand sustainability and building. It's just, it's not that common. Yeah. I know that's not written into the supplemental regulations, but I sort of see that as a really amazing non-traditional public benefit to this project is really helping yeah. train younger students. And that's not a done deal yet either. Right. It has to go through. There's many members of the foundation and this will all get voted on and things like that. But um you know, it's something I would I would really love to uh, I'd really love to you know to get the students in there and you know train them about how to do this yeah. in the real world. Great, I hope that works out. Um, and my last question, going back to the um, six bedroom units, which I won't rehash. I have opinions, but I'm just curious. Say in ten years, there's really not a market for six bedroom units. Do, is there flexibility in the way that this is designed that you know you could? sort of, I know it'd be adding more kitchens, but you know, is there a potential way to, to redesign, is there design flexibility to create more units out of that? Or do you see that this is like, this is it, this is six bedrooms, four units? Well, I would say I've exhausted an awful lot of design possibilities along the way. And, and yes, there would be a way, there's two living rooms in each, each uh, apartment. Okay, and, that's uh, right, I'm remembering this now from and, two years ago. Uh, there's, um, you know, the, the common space areas are meant to be, you know, as, as generous as we could make them anyway, because I want people to be able to really hang out there and enjoy it. Um, uh, but, um, you know, as far as remodeling, <laughs> I haven't ever really even thought about that. I'm just, you know, focused. On I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I'm sure where there's a will, there's a way. Are you there know? two so. kitchens per year? Am I remembering that right? That there's multiple kitchens or is it just multiple? Four what? kitchens. There's four units and four kitchens. Okay, okay. I yeah. don't know what I'm thinking of then. For some reason, I was thinking there were like multiple kitchens in this too. Maybe that was another project. What? Oh, okay. There you go. Thanks. Um, One of the things I really love about modular construction is that... Um, there's air gaps between each wall and between the floors, uh, so you can have kind of like a herd of elephants and up above, and you don't hear much below and uh, anything. And um, then even in between walls, um, there's a great deal of sound attenuation, which if you've been a landlord, you can you know know yeah. that that's a big deal. Or lived in an apartment building. So mm -hmm. the yeah, way that's... that it's designed, this it's the the modular thing is the six unit thing. Yeah. There's... So it would be sort of hard to. You'd have to add in more No, walls. You, can, you could totally do it. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it, it would require probably a little more surgery than normal, but actually there's some benefits to that me construction method that might make it some parts of it easier anyway. So, okay. Yeah. Thank I've been, you. I've been doing that for 16, 18 years. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's, it's just, it's kind of like a normal home. There's some small differences and, yeah. you know. Okay. That's it. Any other questions or comments from commissioners? Commissioner Lee. 
just wanted to do a recap on where we're at. I think just to recap, I think uh, we had adding a maximum setback of 25 feet to section 4B. Uh, we talked about a regulation being added to uh, make sure that the building should be fully electrified with no gas connections. And then I think that there is still debate with respect to should an energy efficiency requirement be codified in the PUD and what are the measurable and punitive impacts surrounding that. So, so is that where we are right now? There's those three? My understanding was for number three that we would direct staff to establish an energy standard okay. to be added between now and when the petition goes to city council. Okay, got it, uh, understood. Um, from, from my standpoint, um, I, I would be in support of adding that maximum setback as well as the um, fully electric and no gas. Um, and I guess I'll just provide just a little bit of commentary. Um, I think from where I sit, this seems like a great project. Um, I know that it can be difficult to see change, and I think the historic preservation of a neighborhood is very important. So that the fourth wards, um, I think, endorsement is, is great, the old fourth ward neighborhood. Um, and then everything that you've kind of gone over, um, creating consistency in the rhythm of this particular building form down division and stretching out kind of like residential activity is pretty important. So um, even the extent on your water consumption, um, I think all is very helpful detail. I, I don't know if that should be mandated. I and mean, frankly, I just want to put like the entire PUD kind of like narrative and throw it into the PUD because it's pretty detailed. Um, I, I do, uh, again, acknowledge all of the comments that we've heard tonight. Um, I have to say overall kind of uh, balancing of the things, uh, I would be in support of adding maximum setback 25 feet to section 4B, uh, creating a section for the fully electric and no gas on site. And I would say that I would be in support of this. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Commissioner Mills. Unless there's somebody else that goes, I think I'd like to make a motion to add those, formally add those three amendments as Commissioner Lee just articulated. Mr. Leonard, you have similarly articulated them. So this would be a proposed motion to modify the supplemental regulations to add a maximum front setback of 25 feet and maintain the, the minimum 10 foot. It would uh, direct staff to present a energy efficiency standard for the construction of the building um, for certification at the time of completion to be included uh, at city council consideration and it would prohibit natural gas connections to do the development. Is there anyone who wants to second that motion? Commissioner Weish seconds the motion. Do we do a roll call vote? First see if there's any discussion, oh, discussion. of that. Sorry. Thank you all. It's okay. Discussion of the motion. I have a question. Commissioner Lee. This would be for the petitioner. Um, and this is pure uh, curiosity. Fully electric building. Um, what happens if for, for heating purposes, because this will feed into the next discussion. Um, if electricity goes down and it's like a freezing, freezing night, what's what like what what next? Well, um, the last passive house we built, uh, at least uh, my other company built, um, uh, I don't know if you remember when um, Ann Arbor Hills lost power for a week, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, um, that house never fell below 61 degrees. And their only complaint was it smelled pretty funky in there. Um, <laughs> uh, 
they're very, very tight. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, without, you know, sort of the energy recovery ventilator, uh, sorry, uh, needing to um, ventilate the building, it will hold its heat very, very well. Um, also, there's batteries and solar. So yep. um, I don't think I probably would have enough juice in the batteries to run a geothermal system that I need in the size geothermal system I need in there. Um, but it would, uh, it would at least, you know, there are some, um, some uh, heater supplemental wall uh, fan coil units that would operate. They only use about you know 150 watts, and so those would absolutely work. And I think, honestly, any one of those in one in each unit would probably be enough to heat the unit. Gotcha. So I think you're safer in that than you would be in almost any other type of building. Sure, sure. Gotcha. Appreciate the response. Thanks. Any other discussion of the motion? Okay, I think we're ready to vote. All right, so this is on the motion to modify the supplemental regulations as described. Uh, Commissioner Mills? Yes. Commissioner Sove? Yes. Commissioner Abrams? Yes. Commissioner Hammerschmidt? Yes. Commissioner Dish? Yes. Commissioner Lee? Yes. Commissioner Clark? Yes. Commissioner White? Yes. All right, the, the regulations are uh, modified. Any more discussion? All right, I think we're ready to vote. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, to recommend approval of the PUD zoning and site plan as amended by action. Uh, Commissioner Mills? Yes. Commissioner Sove? Yes. Commissioner Abrams? Yes. Commissioner Hammerschmidt? Yes. Commissioner Dish? Yes. Commissioner Lee? Yes. Commissioner Clark? Yes. Commissioner White? Yes. Motion carries. We'll need one minute to bring Commissioner Gib Randall back. Yes, please. Item 8D, um, 221873, Amendments to Chapter 55, Unified Development Code, UDC Sections 5.16.6.0, Accessory Uses and Structures, Personal Scale Solar Energy System to Remove Restrictions for Installation of Solar Energy Installations in Single and Two-Family Zoning Districts, and to add a new energy section to Article 4, development standards that would prohibit natural gas connections in all new construction and substantially renovated or expanded buildings. Staff recommendation is postponement. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so as uh, presented there, these are two proposed amendments. Um, the basis for the recommendation for postponement is that while 
Um, one version of this was presented previously to the Ordinance Revisions Committee. Um, in the, in, the present in the format that these were presented in your packet, they were just published last week, and I think they're pretty big changes, so um, my recommendation is postponement to uh, at least December 6th. Uh, to provide some more time for stakeholders and those interested to review and formulate any comments they might have. Um, as identified in the background memo, we, uh, our current comprehensive plan uh, focuses, uh, includes two recommendations um, that are applicable, I believe, to both the proposed ordinance amendments. One is to uh, imp improve the access and increase the use of renewable energy by all members of our community and to reduce energy consumption and eliminate net greenhouse gas emissions um, and reduce the existing buildings uh, and new buildings energy use, carbon impact, and uh, construction waste while respecting community context. These are recommendations that are in our 2013 sustainability framework, which is part of our comprehensive plan. And on top of that, um, as, as the previous uh, agenda item was noted, there's been a lot of conversation at this table about uh, the city's um, sustainability goals and that goal identified in our comprehensive plan. Um, as I've s shared before, I, s I hear a lot of desire on behalf of the Planning Commission. It's not unique to the Planning Commission. There are other advisory commissions in the city as well that are really interested in the city enacting uh, regulations that help drive positive momentum towards reaching climate uh, carbon neutrality goals, um, as the city has, has, has identified. And I would further observe at times that my impression is that as a commission, you are frustrated that you at times are um, felt that you are having to approve projects that are not fully electrified and don't necessarily advance these goals to the greatest extent or to as much of an extent as development could. Um, so to that end, um, there are two ordinances here proposed. One would be an entirely new section of the uh, UDC called Energy. Um, it would be a new 5.27, 5 and as, as a reminder, the UDC is broken down into a couple of categories. It is uh, a, a, an overview of our zoning districts, what uses you can do in those zoning districts, and then the next section is how you must develop property. Um, so this would fall into that category, and it would set a standard that f essentially for all new construction, substantial renovations, and sizable additions, it would prohibit future connection to natural gas utilities for those properties. The natural gas connection couldn't be maintained unless, for some reason, it was mandated by a building or fire protection code. Um, my understanding is that there might be some circumstances where, um, to meet certain fire code protections, that the technology just may not be ex in existence right now to actually meet, um, and I'm not going to go any further, um, but it the carve-out is when one of those basic code public safety requirements necessitates a natural gas connection. This would not supersede that. When options are available to provide those same services full, with a fully electrical, electric infrastructure, that would be required. The second ordinance is a bit of a <clears throat> revisit of the personal scale solar energy system. So, 
uh, 20, uh, well, 20, 2007, eight, uh, I'm estimating. Um, we uh, created solar, personal scale solar energy systems in our UDC. And we went through an exercise at that time um, and we ended up adopting, uh, we ended up defining solar energy systems and we actually ended up regulating them to a higher degree than we do some other accessory structures uh, in the city. Um, uh, to the aforementioned uh, comprehensive planning goal to provide as much access and opportunity for renewable energy in the city as possible. Um, I've presented, I'm presenting some language that would revisit that and seek um, I think, to be clear, I think these would be pretty modest uh, realizations, um, but the proposed changes would actually provide more flexibility for ground-mounted solar energy systems than other accessory structures in the city. Uh, specifically, they would allow the installation of ground-mounted solar in front yards, including front yard setbacks. Uh, it would still require a minimum setback of 10 feet for those. So it's still not absolute, but it would provide some more flexibility for the placement of that. Um, and it would also remove the application that applies broadly currently to both ground-mounted solar and other accessory buildings that they can't cover more than 35% of the required rear yard setback. Um, in both cases, this proposed language would uh, provide more flexibility for these as accessory uses uh, than than matching or being more restrictive than other accessory stru structure regulations in the city. Um, uh, some, of, uh, some of the research, uh, sort of jumping back a little bit to electrification, I think mostly, um, is another reason for the recommendation for the postponement at the Ordinance Revisions Committee. Uh, some of the uh, research that was requested I still have not completed yet, um, but some of them we have started working on. Um, generally, uh, one question was, can our grid handle it? And right now, um, our best answer to that is yes. Um, the grid can handle it. Uh, DTE is making significant investments in its electric grid here in the city. Um, but at the same time, there are challenges to provide electric service to projects with or without natural gas connections. So that's not to say that there won't be costs associated with it. Sometimes electrification would, can, could result in a higher cost than a comparative cost if, for example, that electric power has to come further or from a more complex circuit. But generally, um, our understanding is that the capacity does exist in the city to accommodate this. Um, the, uh, another piece of that research is, um, is electrification as a goal of the city? Because as that grid becomes more uh, renewably sourced, that becomes a re more renewably sourced energy. Right now, electrification doesn't necessarily hit that to the degrees that we all aspire to. Um, so I'm trying to get some more research about trying the evaluation measurement of how that looks today. Um, not unlike EV uh, parking spaces, though, I still think it's a worthwhile consideration for future proofing development, even in the context of that decision. Or, or the the facts of that. The other piece of research is some examples from other communities um, that require electrification. 
there aren't in many there aren't any in Michigan that I'm aware of. Um, however, there are some in some other communities across the country. Um, so I'm going to bring some of the examples to those, but um, I also will be packaging those in a way that appropriately recognizes that we have to make land use regulatory decisions in a different legislative framework than other states. And there was another question about, um, I think I'm going to be looking specifically in some of those ordinances, which I have not completed this research yet, as to specific uses that other ordinances might specifically exempt or provide more flexibility because they're more challenging to meet an electrification requirement. Um, I don't have those answers yet. Generally, I would, um, uh, my summary of the discussion at the Ordinance Revisions Committee was um, relative to electrification that, um, that this is a big question worthy of discussion by the full uh, Planning Commission at the ORC. I don't think there is a unified um, decision or opinion. Uh, this has, if, if the city were to enact this, it really does set the city apart in development requirements in the context of our region. Um, does that make, uh, does it make all things considered development more apt to be located in the city, less apt? Um, what implications does that have if we are setting a higher standard that is perceived in some way to be more challenging or more expensive or uncertain than surrounding communities? Um, at the same time, we have clearly articulated those goals. As it relates to solar energy, I think that there was a lot of uh, conversation about, um, I think there was more comfort in proposing amendments that just apply the same accessory structure standards that apply to all accessory structures. Uh, I feel like I in presenting something that's slightly more aggressive than that to the full commission. I want to name that, that at that conversation. I think that there was more comfort, comfort just making it a level playing field. The proposed changes here goes a step further and actually makes them uh, the regulations less restrictive for those uses than other accessory structures. So, um, so some more research to do, some proposed language that's clearly articulated. Uh, the last. Uh, the last piece that I just want to make sure that it's, it is addressed in the background memo. Energy efficiency is not included in this, uh, both in the comprehensive plan, energy efficiency is I identified in your work program, energy efficiency is identified. Uh, for similar reasons, I think, it, I think the source of utility is an appropriate first step for a land use regulatory authority. When we get into building requirements of energy efficiency, I think that they are more apt to ha be um, regulated by the building code as opposed to local zoning ordinances. Um, but there might be opportunities in the future still to look at incentive incentivization, but this is um, very much an intentional breaking apart of those decisions to, because I think there's probably plenty to unpack with both aspects of that. So I'm um, happy to answer any questions, either uh, from the commission um, as we discuss. Great, thank you. So let's move on to the public hearing for this and then we'll move into discussion. It's an opportunity for persons to speak up to three minutes about uh, these changes to the ordinances. We'll first call on individuals present to, to address the commission, then remote participants to speak during the public hearing, plus press star nine if listening by phone or raise, use the raise the hand feature of viewing through the web link for phone access call 
877-853-5247 and enter meeting ID 977-6634-1226. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand using the last three digits of your phone number or by name if available through accessing through the web link. You'll hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we may hear you clearly. For either method of participation, please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Is there anyone in the room that would like to speak about this petition? Good evening. My name is Randall Whitaker. I'm the business manager for uh, UA Local 190, plumbers, pipe fitters, gas distribution workers, and HVAC service technicians here in Ann Arbor. I wanted to speak about this bill specifically. Um, I kind of stand on both sides of this, but I speak against this ordinance mainly because it's really too big of a jump too fast. And I'm certainly not speaking against sustainability and going green, but the very first sentence of 5.27.2 in applicability it says all buildings constructed after January 1st, 2023, no gas connections. Now that's a great idea and I'm fully for it. Um, my members uh, work here in Ann Arbor with, in Ann Arbor and University of Michigan. We do geothermal, natural gas connections, of course, uh, plumbing and pipe fitting. But I, I employ, I implore all of you to just think about for a second if you really want to think about what this might do as written, and I stress as written, go ahead and shut the natural gas line off to Ann Arbor right now. And you will find out what that means is what, as this ordinance is as written, what will happen to the city. You can't just flip a switch that fast. Certainly work towards it. My members, myself as an organization, we're on board with it towards zero emissions. But if you're going to flip a switch like this, it's gonna have negative consequences. It's already been brought up, the infrastructure, the capacity may be there. Somebody may be telling you it's there. Maybe that's true, but you don't know for sure yet. And I can tell you from my point of view, what I see around Michigan and what I've been involved with, that infrastructure in Washtenaw County and especially Ann Arbor isn't there yet. Of course we can work towards it. All of you can work towards it. But again, this ordinance as written, um, you know, I'm asking you all to, at the very minimum, postpone it. Do some more research. And especially just know that that infrastructure isn't ready for such a big jump so fast. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else in the room that would like to address the Planning Commission on this issue? Uh, thank you, Chair Gibb Randall. Ken Garber again. Um, you knew I was going to have to talk on this one. Um, yeah, no one's talking about flipping the, the gas switch off to Ann Arbor. Um, nothing is going to suddenly change on January 1st, 2023, or whatever date this takes effect. 
Um, gas will still flow, unfortunately, um, to the vast majority of, of buildings in this, in this city, um, which contribute uh, the biggest single um, percentage of greenhouse gas emissions for the city, um, much more than even transportation. Um, I'm going to name some projects, all electric projects that you've approved in the last two and a half years. Uh, Valhalla Glen, Viridian at County Park, 2111 Packard, Lockwood Senior Living, University Inn Residential, 1815 North Maple. Um, these show proof of principle that this, this is possible in rentals, institutional buildings, and single family homes. Um, the uh, capacity, I believe, um, probably is not there if suddenly every developer wanted to jump in at once and, and do all their projects simultaneously. But it's a gradual process. Um, projects come to you sporadically. Um, and uh, if there are capacity problems, I would hope that they could be addressed um, in tandem. Um, there still may be an upfront cost difference in going all electric versus gas, but it's very small in relation to the overall project cost. Heat pumps are much more efficient than gas appliances in terms of BTUs produced per unit energy, and the higher price of electricity versus gas has now almost disappeared, so utility costs should be at rough parity. In fact, in um, my discussion, in our discussion with the Robertson Brothers uh, uh, staff, it never came up. There were other issues, supply chain issues, uh, DTE, um, intransigence when it comes to um, hooking up electric, but not utility costs at the current natural gas prices. Um, from, just from a climate standpoint, it's insane to keep um, putting gas in new construction. We're locking in greenhouse gas emissions for the next half century or more, or we're going to have to retrofit at huge cost. It, 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 I can't tell you how strongly I feel that this is, it makes no sense now. There are no technical obstacles uh, to going all electric. Um, yeah, there's DTE um, with delays that the Robertson Brothers um, team has experienced at other locations. I guess I'm out. Thank you. Thank you. Would anybody else like to address the Planning Commission? Hi, I'm Ron Mucha with Morningside Group. And my purpose here is not to comment on the, uh, the merits of the ordinance for electrification, but to speak to the, uh, the language of the ordinance. So as drafted, I'm, I'm holding the, the ordinance, it's, it's fairly broad, and I imagine that's because it's just the starting point of discussions. But it does say that the applicability is all buildings constructed after January 1 of 23. So I guess my, as you refine this ordinance, if it if it's proceeds to actually become enacted, I, I believe that it would be reasonably necessary to exclude site plan approved projects um, that have buildings that have not yet been constructed. 
um, as of the date of the ordinance enactment were that to happen. And then specifically, just in the case of our own project, so 1140 Broadway, just to, just to give an example. So that's a three-phase project approved in 2017. All of the site improvements, including the underground utilities, easements, everything that was necessary, were constructed during the project's first phase. And for anyone who's not familiar with the project's current status, the first phase was, is complete. The second phase is, is well under construction. It's about half built. And the third phase of the project has a to-be-determined commencement date. So it's entirely possible, if not likely, that it would start construction after that this ordinance would be enacted. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else present that would like to speak on this issue? Anybody waiting virtually for us? No hands raised. Okay. okay. All righty. I will read the motion, which is this is an ordinance to amend section 5.16.6 of chapter 55, 55 Unified Development Code of Title V of Code of the City of Ann Arbor Personal Scale Solar Energy Systems and an ordinance to add sections 5.27 through 5.29 to chapter 55 Unified Development Code of Title V of Code of the City of Ann Arbor Electrification. Moved by Commissioner Weiss, seconded by Commissioner Dish. We are in discussion. Mr. Silve. I want to start by just um, offering a couple more kind of informational points maybe uh, to the commission. So the Bureau of Construction Codes at the state of Michigan uh, just hired a new executive director um, and his role is uh, overseeing the adoption of uh, the construction codes at the state level. So as it's kind of referenced within this, uh, Michigan adopts uh, all of our codes at the state level. So Ann Arbor doesn't adopt a building code, the state of Michigan does. Um, and so with that, um, only just this past fall, Michigan adopted the 2018 plumbing code. Uh, it's currently in the works of the 2021 Michigan energy code. It was previously in the works of adopting the 2018 Michigan building code. Uh, but with the transition of this leadership, they said we should match the Michigan Energy Code and the Michigan Building Code. And they're working now towards a trajectory of adopting the Michigan 2021 Building Code next year to match. Um, they're looking uh, of moving this pretty aggressively since money, much of the conversation has already been happening um, to be adopted um, by October of next year. So just to kind of give a, a line um, about the energy code outside of this ordinance um, and the building code um, that meets some of these uh, standards. I would say one of the biggest things, maybe not in terms of this sustainability factor, um, but within the 2021 building code is also the inclusion of a new uh, construction typology, which is like the first in 100 years in Michigan building code, which is mass timber. Um, so there's kind of other elements that go along with it. But the energy code, of course, uh, is continuously elevating. So I just want to kind of offer that up as like additional context to the types of codes that we're working with outside of this ordinance, at least from my kind of industry experience. Um, and so I'll, I'll offer up kind of a couple things to both of these ordinances. I unfortunately was not in attendance to the ORC meeting. 
um, but I did share um, some of our uh, application process for a project currently underway um, about uh, pre-submittal with DTE and the process that takes place. So we've been um, in conversation with DTE for three months now and have only just now established uh, that we need to borrow power from a neighboring circuit, not the current supply circuit, from a different substation. Uh, what that means is that that substation has now uh, dedicated to a new neighborhood um, and reduces the amount of power uh, available to the neighborhood based on that substation distribution. So at some point, developments are going to start continuing to borrow power and reshifting circuits to substations, and we will need to upgrade the substations, not just the circuits. Um, DTE's timeline is um, from engineering development with the plan for fully electric building um, and getting the actual work order services started um, six months to a year to do that work and a quarter of a million dollars to move a circuit. Um, just, I give this for informational context. Um, we're happy to do it. Um, but I think what I say in terms of this ordinance is that I'm actually really excited that it's here because it gives a very transparent process to what we're looking for instead of the uncertainty um, of the deliberations at this table um, and the concern of projects. And so while there will be you know, friction and a learning curve, um, at least it will be a clear path for electrification um, instead of concerns about uh, getting supporting votes for by right projects with a preference for electrification. Um, so I, I, I support this. I do agree that the date is very soon um, and that's given the timeline you know, that we've experienced with projects that it takes six months to a year, and that's when you've started the project with plans for full electrification. If there are projects currently in design, similar to the previous project that we saw, um, I've got the same reason parking in six units. Um, is probably, it was designed that way when we had parking ordinances, and in the last three months, there wasn't room to redesign that uh, in the budget of pre-development. Uh, the same looks forward here um, that I'd really kind of look forward to maybe um, a date certain six to nine months down the road from adoption rather than a fixed date that we're nearing as we continue these conversations um, towards postponement. I think those are kind of my general kind of uh, conditions uh, at this conversation at the table tonight. I, I support postponement. Um, and then on the solar, yes. <laughs> Um, this will, um, and I would say kind of two, two, two factors in terms of my reading of this is similar to a PUD, the public benefit for solar uh, and giving more flexibility are matched um, instead of meeting the same accessory and setback uh, that this is a, a benefit and deserves the additional flexibility. Um, and I see this as a, a great opportunity, um, especially on corner lots with a double front yard. Uh, to really utilize it where there's some difficulty for neighbors to have large sites that just don't have a lot of things to use on those sites. Um, so I see a lot of benefit um, as it's drafted, but I understand that that, that kind of public benefit flexibility is something uh, that deserves discussion. So I don't, like, I appreciate some of the, you know, research that's going to kind of uh, come forward, but the, that's just, uh, I guess, my industry experience I want to offer up. Uh, and just really appreciate this coming forward. Great, thank you for that. That's helpful. I have just a question for you while you're, while you're going with this. In terms of the, the kind of newer building codes that are coming on, and, and this is sort of in between the two of you, 
how how do these things interf how do they interface? I'm just curious how how our local code interfaces with the Michigan Building Code, and I know it's something that's kind of continually being adopted, and we're, we always seem to be several years behind it. I'm just curious how how can we kind of pull this off? Um, because we've always heard that when we get into these sorts of issues, that it's not really part of our jurisdiction. So I'd love to understand how you all are threading the needle and how you're making that all work. So generally the state adopts building codes and they apply across the state of Michigan land use or zoning is adopted locally so zoning is more of a, a laboratory if you will for a local community to prioritize the things that's important to it um, I want to be clear there are questions about whether or not utility connections extending to a proposed development falls within that category. Um, I put some of the basis in that memo why I think it does. Um, I will not be the only arbiter of that decision, however. Um, so as those building codes are adopted, the interrelationship for them is as they are adopted at the state, they're going to be implemented here. I don't know in those proposed changes if they replicate this kind of um, requirement. Um, I don't know if they know those answers yet, but the, the, the short answer is it, the state makes that decision for us. We make our own decision as it relates to the UDC. As I articulated, and again, just to reemphasize, land use law provides some specific purpose statements as to making land use planning and implementation to protect natural resources, preserve public health, and manage our infrastructure. Different state legislation says this is the place, the building codes that are adopted at the state level that determines how energy efficient buildings will be. And that's specifically why it's not to say that there aren't opportunities for incentivizing those standards, but I don't think that there are the same opportunities to mandate those standards in the zoning code. And I don't know if Commissioner Sylvay would add anything to that. I think the only other thing I would add, yeah, like um, they get adopted, they're the general, like the building code is the international building code. And then each state may make amendments to that. So Michigan specifically, and I think this comes to what we're talking about here, the fire code and things is Michigan actually has the lowest uh, height for high rises. And once you hit a high rise standard in architecture, uh, the, um, the reserve energy that you need to power uh, for um, pressurizing your emergency egress and your emergency lighting um, and alarms and things like that needs to be supplied, right? And so at a certain scale of building, battery packs are not gonna supply all of the emergency needs and so that's like a gas hookup or um, you have fuel storage on site with a generator. So that's kind of one of the things that depending on the discussions in the next year with adoption, uh, determining some variances from the, the international building code turning into the Michigan building code and the same with the energy code. They all come from a similar platform and then the state um, adjusts it down. Um, the other thing as energy code, mechanical code, uh, electrical code move forward is that buildings take more energy. Um, <laughs> while we have more energy efficient um, units and things like that. Um, the amount of air uh, recirculated for healthy spaces 
um, actually demands kind of more energy on the systems uh, versus our, our older systems that didn't have to actually turn over air at the same volume that it does now. So it's a trade-off um, that many projects are requiring um, upgrading their service to meet the current mechanical and energy code um, because there's just more requirements to it as well. Um, so while we're actually saving energy uh, with a certain systems, uh, there's just more requirement to meet the higher quality of building standards. Great, thank you. Other discussion? Commissioner Mills. I have a long list because I do, and it's not, I've tried to organize it, but it's probably not going to be all organized. So um, I'm going to start with solar because I think that's easier. In terms of the dates, we, it came, it, the solar ordinances left our plate in 2017 and it was 2018. And I got to tell you, I leave, uh, that city council decided not to take our recommendations, actually. And I, in my day job, remind people a lot about how uh, it is not consistent. And so I am strongly in favor of moving to a situation where we are not limiting solar, making it any more restrictive. And I, I think the corner lot situation is a perfect example of where making it even, you know, uh, and the other suggest uh, even more permissive to allow for solar, lots more flexibility, I think is much more consistent with some of our other stated goals. So I'm supportive of the changes in the solar ordinance, and I don't personally know that we need any additional research on that. Like, from my perspective, I think they're good to go in, as soon as we want them to be, and then I will stop throwing the city under the bus. But until then, I will continue to say this is hypocrisy because it is hypocrisy. Sorry. Um, in terms of the in terms of the electrification ordinance, I've got just a bunch of kind of random things. I think this idea of um, the language thinking through what we do about the projects that we have already approved. I, it is a legit one, especially in phased projects. I think that's really wise, and so I appreciate that being brought to our attention. Um, the next one is to Commissioner Lee's comment on the previous one. So this is something that's used a lot, and maybe every house I've lived in is is weird, but the the circulation fan doesn't work even on a gas furnace when the power's out too. So it's actually no different. Like it's, it's just fireplaces. Like that's the <laughs> um, electric heat or electric heat is no less reliable in, in a, um, in a power outage situation than gas heat because it's forced air. And so unless again, unless you've got some kind of backup generation, which in which case, yeah, there's the backup generation and Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's also like, well, I mean, our climate is such that we're, our natural gas system is prepared for cold, but not other, every place. Um, in terms of the research, Mr. Uh, Leonard, that I think you talked about with regards to like the emissions comparisons, I, I don't know that that's 
I don't know that I would put too much effort in that. In part, I mean, it didn't go far enough, but DTE just came out with its integrated resource plan, which does move up the retirement date of the coal, of parts of the coal fleet. Um, and so it is getting cleaner and it will continue to get cleaner. And so again, we know that this is the direction that the grid is heading and that yes, right now it may be, it, it may increase emissions temporarily, but then we are not locking ourselves into additional infrastructure and the additional um, materials and, you know, that are needed for adding in another kind of another system. So like the idea that we're just not adding in, we're not extending that gas infrastructure to that place and having, it's not quite the same as a stranded asset that we talk about in kind of coal plant retirements, but it's the same idea. Like you're adding a new infrastructure that you, is going to be obsolete pretty soon. So I don't know that I would do that, that research. The research though that I think would be really useful that we've heard about recently is whether there are hard to electrify systems. So this idea of um, kind of backup uh, for when you've got a high, you know, when you've got an elevator or whatever other kind of systems, like that I think seems like a reasonable um, exception. We heard the other day something about commercial kitchens and air circulation or makeup air for that. I'm curious about that. I would like to hear more. I, this came before when um, the, the site on the south side of town kind of lab space. Like, I think thinking through that's where I would put any research time in terms of whether there are things like that that really are just hard to electrify. Um, but otherwise, I'm excited to have us move forward on this. I don't like um, it's not to the best of my knowledge. Like it's it's good that the um, that the energy code is moving towards efficiency. And I mean, I've been involved in a lot of the discussions kind of around this too. There's a lot of money coming from the federal government for the states to both implement the existing energy code that they have, have better enforcement on it, and to move to more innovative energy codes. So I think that that's really great. It's not going as far as, you know, all electric though yet. And so I think that, that the two-pronged approach is really wise. So I'm, I'm excited to see this, to see kind of this come forward and hope that we move forward on solar soon and I'm happy to get more research on electrification. Commissioner Dish. I would like to add one more topic and I didn't think that was such a long list but I'd like to add one more topic. Uh, and this isn't so much for research, but more for consideration. And I, I thank the, I'm sorry that I'm not remembering names other than the ones I already know, but I'd like to thank the representative from the Plumbers Union for coming. And um, I think that I would like us somewhere in our deliberations to consider the issue of a just transition. I think that some of the anxiety about um, this is too big of a jump too fast concerns um, will, be, will be not completely changing a job market, but we're going to be accelerating a transition out of 
one set of jobs to another set of jobs. And I know that, um, I know that when people, um, if I were to electrify my existing house, which has gas, I would be hiring uh, someone from, the, from a union to come and change all my electric boards because I'm sure they can't do it. I'm sure my, my house is not equipped for me to electrify. And so there are some things that, that the transition we're envisioning here, there are some losses that will be offset by gains in other ways. But I think that's something that we need to talk about because one of the features of our sustainability plan is equity. And I think what we've heard is a question from the equity side. And um, I personally would be distressed if union I, jobs that are currently worked by union laborers were, um, got switched over to jobs that aren't unionized yet. And I'm very glad to hear that you do geothermal because that means there is unionization in the is industry. But I don't care for grocery stores, for example, where their workforce is not unionized unless they're a co-op because that's a different thing. But I don't care for large grocery chains that aren't unionized because that's a really strong union and we should be shopping there unless we're going to the farmer's market, which is a different matter. And so this is an issue that we need to think about is how does this affect our commitments to not just sustainable energy, but sustainable livelihoods. So we'd like to put that up for discussion. And I appreciate Commissioner Sove uh, raising the concerns about the pace with which DTE will <laughs> participate in what we're talking about and the pace that we say we want projects to be done by. And I believe Commissioner Mills already conceded the point that we do need to think about uh, projects that we have already approved and site planned and that have done, you know, created parts of their infrastructure. But even just site plans that we've approved, because that in itself, you know, to redo an entire site plan to create an entire new, I guess these would be the guts of the building largely, I think, or well, whatever, it's, it, it would cost a lot of money and time. And so we need to think about that because we don't want, what if we, you know, yeah, never mind. I'm not going to spin any scenarios. That would be silly. But these are things that we need to think about. Um, there is another issue that we need to think about, which is we wouldn't be reducing anybody's carbon footprint if our more strict regulations pushed more development to the periphery and caused more people to drive in. However, if the whole state changes and updates its building code, we will not have to worry about that. So I hope that the pace of that change is speedy for our sake. And it's not something I just, that's just something we need to talk about. It's not a reason not to do it. People may still probably want to develop in Ann Arbor regardless, but it's something we need to think about and deliberate carefully. That's all. Commissioner Weich. Just wanted to um, say how delighted I am to see this um, and how excited I am for us to have this conversation and to uh, potentially um, enact this change to our UDC. Since joining this table in August of 2021, I have been um, quite surprised with what I have described as 
the mismatch between our um, sustainability objectives and what we do at the table. And I have sent plenty of emails trying to reconcile those discrepancies and have been educated about how the, the codes in Michigan work and how um, local rule affects uh, what we can do. And I'm just excited that um, we're actually able to do something in our UDC that sort of matches our sustainability vision. And I look forward to our future conversation and vote on this. And I echo the concerns that other commissioners have already articulated around um, the, the first question I was going to ask is what does this do for sites that we've already developed? So if we enact this as written, does the village have to do all electric? So that would be my question <laughs> for that. And then what kind of notice do they uh, get uh, since they haven't um, started that development? But I think those things will be resolved when we come back to our conversation uh, in the future. But um, I'm excited to see this. I'm. I'm delighted uh, that we're we're talking about this, and on the solar uh, piece, I, you know, I appreciate Commissioner Mills's comments, uh, and and cheer you on, and uh, I'm hoping we can um, make that more accessible um, to more people as quickly as possible. Anybody else, Commissioner Lee? Thank you. Um, We've often talked about that tension at this table between legislature of what exists currently on the code versus what the climate action um, community plan is. So the fact that we are trying to address what we pretty much see and try to navigate here every you know Tuesday is important. So I think we're moving forward in a good way. Um, and this, this is aimed squarely at really reducing uncertainty about expectations of electrification. So I think that's important. Um, I think we're also simultaneously balancing tensions between, you know, economic development of additional housing and buildings and development uh, relative to environmental sustainability. Again, not an easy balance to strike, but one that we need to grapple with, I think, responsibly. So um, some of the thoughts I had kind of leading into this, uh, and I like the, uh, this, uh, the separation of use. Um, as we kind of talked about, and then first, actually, I, let me just kind of back up and um, give a little clarity to what Commissioner Mills was talking about with respect to really, for me, it's grid resilience is, is a huge concern of mine, right? I mean, uh, over near Miller, we've seen those power outages go um, for, for days at a time. So I, I want to make sure grid resilience is there, um, whether it's a gas fire backup or a battery plan or a distributed grid that maybe the climate millage can help effectuate. Um, grid resilience is, and, and life safety is predominantly one of my concerns kind of going into this. Just making sure that we have redundancies that can keep people warm. Um, relative to, again, I understand, uh, again, having economizers and makeup forced air throughout a system. Um, I, all of that being said, uh, again, grid resilience is a, is a concern of mine. Um, separation of uses. So I think one of the things that I, I think about when addressing this is uh, the scale of a project and then also the kind of uses required. So a laboratory, a restaurant has different thermal requirements than homes. 
Um, so I think that looking at it by a use case would be more amicable. Like, uh, for example, hotels. Hotels, restaurants, labs, those are some of the uses that kind of come to mind. So uh, as well as the scale of a project, right? 24 units relative to 500, right? Different performas, different kinds of shared walls, uh, requirements that go into it. So um, those are the kinds of things that I think, again, this is very important for us to address because it often comes to this table. We ask the petitioners, have you tried thinking about this? So codifying this does bring clarity and that is important. That is our job to do. That, so I think that uh, we need, in my mind, we, this is important for us to tackle. It is important for us to uh, do additional research. I support postponement on this one. Uh, that being said, this is a very necessary topic for us to bring clarity to the community for. So um, again, in my mind, the separation of uses, scale are two things that we should think about as well as the concept. Oh, and, and really from the standpoint of also this seems like a, I don't know what the right word is here, but there could be additional thoughts or contemplations given to um, creating an incentive structures for this. So think about tax incre increment financing or sales tax financing, things of that nature and specific instruments that could be brought to incentivize this further. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to having this discussion. I support postponement at this time. Thank you. Anybody else? Um, I just have one comment and something to maybe think about that is not necessarily part of the ordinance, but I think as we've had the opportunity to um, participate in a couple of these webinars that have been really helpful resources for me as I've been um, learning more and more um, from the kind of architecture perspective of how you design these buildings is that um, you seem to be really flipping the process for design in terms of how you think about these buildings and that we're asking people to kind of switch things really late in the process and that what I've learned is that you start thinking about your energy systems really early in the process, which is not what typically happens. And so um, I don't think about it, about it as part of the code, but maybe that there's some sort of way for us to provide resources for people because some of the webinars that I've seen have been really helpful just to kind of orient how architects and site designers and everything that we might think differently about the design process itself. Um, because it doesn't have to be more, it can be a lot less energy intensive if you can design it right from the get-go in terms of how tight the, the um, building envelope is and how you're incorporating energy creation systems from solar or wind or geothermal or whatever it is. So um, I guess creating a, a system that allows people to be able to learn and have resources too that aren't part of the code but are that are just part of a system of support to be able to enable um, developers and designers to be able to to move forward without just kind of slapping it on at the end but really thinking about how you may, may reorient your whole process from the beginning because that was that was very clear to me throughout all of those webinars is that it's just a different way of of designing and that you're running your energy model at the beginning 
<laughs> not at the end. <laughs> and you're thinking about windows and how thermal envelopes and things like that, it really changes. So again, not necessarily part of the code itself, but just a part of supporting structures to be able to make it so that people have the chance to be successful, I guess, is what my two cents would be on that. Any other comments, Commissioner Mills? I'm curious if, from staff's perspective or from other planning commissioners, given that there are more questions about electrification, I don't want solar to linger too long. Like, how would staff feel, like, do, would you still recommend postponement on that for further engagement, or do you feel comfortable um, moving that forward? Tonight or, yeah, tonight, I guess. Um, so, to be clear, that language <clears throat> wasn't published until late last week. So, um, I guess I would still recommend that we postpone that to the 6th. However, um, I am hearing a lot different level of conversation about these two ordinances. So one of the things that I would propose is when this come, they come back on the 6th, we split them um, so that um, if the commission is of the mind to take action more quickly on one than the other. Um, as um, I'm taking a few more notes on the electrification, I, of course, my hope is to be able to successfully answer all these questions, but I think that there will, might be more conversations about electrification regardless. So, um, so a long way of saying my recommendation still would be to postpone both, but when they come back, my intention would be then to split them and then the commission could consider these independently um, and then they would progress to the city council independently as well. Thank you. Commissioner Weich. It's just a, a quick question about public hearings. Um, does, does this get noticed as a public hearing? <laughs> Text amendments are noticed uh, in the Washington Legal News. Okay. And they're sent to our Gov Delivery, which is about 2,000 email addresses, and okay. to neighborhood associations. But there's not a mailing associated with a text amendment. Even though it's a citywide change? Correct. Okay. So when we bring this back, uh, hypothetically, we bring this back on December 6th, it will have been noticed prior to that there would be a public hearing and then we would do our vote and depending on its approval, it would go forward to the council where it would have two readings, a first reading, a public hearing, a second reading and a public hearing, and then a final vote. Yes, but a, 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 a clarification, it was yep. already noticed. Okay. However, it's well, noticed by title and the text was finalized last week. I think that warrants more time for those that are interested. We will not be re-noticing We've noticed both of these ordinances for this public hearing. Anybody who is interested in it had the opportunity to come. If you choose to postpone it to December 6th, those that we've notified are aware of that and able to track it. The public hearing will continue on December 6th, but there wouldn't be additional notification on it. Okay, so I was confused because part of your reason for postponing was the, it felt like it was the noticing that the language wasn't finalized, so. <clears throat> The, I, maybe I was conflating the notice that we we're going to have a conversation 
and the, the final language of what that conversation was as one thing. And you're now separating them to say, no, the notice is, it was done, it was proper, it won't be re-noticed, but we're asking for a postponement because we want to give the public more, uh, stakeholders more opportunity to provide comments to planning before we finalize our vote. Yes, and specifically, three weeks ago, we noticed the specific electrification language that's been present. Three weeks ago, we notified the public that we anticipate proposed changes to solar accessory structures, making it more flexible. Okay. The details of that were not published until last week. And so um, there could be those that saw that, were waiting to see this language, and the time frame from share, it being shared with the public and you as the commission, that's my rationale is that even though we won't be sending it out to any more notice, just some more space for stakeholders, the public, and the commissioners to sit with it before taking action. And, and so then a follow-on question is, if we're using the Gov delivery, is there, is there a way for us to notify those that are subscribed that the, this, is, this was postponed, yeah. here's the final language, and then we're gonna have, it's gonna be back on the agenda for the six. I know you publish what's on the agenda for the six, but I'm, I'm just trying to note that there was a change um, to do it. Like, is that something we can do? Um, I think the effect would be similar. It would. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Can I have a motion to postpone? By Commissioner Sove, seconded by Commissioner Weich. Do we do a? We don't need to do a roll call for this. Just okay. All in. All in favor. All in favor of, the, of postponement, please say aye. Okay, motion carries. All righty, we are on to public comment. Item number nine, this is an opportunity for persons to speak up to three minutes about any issue that is um, on the public hearing. We'll first call on individuals present to the commission and then remote participants to speak during this public hearing remotely, press star nine or use the raise hand feature for phone access, call 877-853-5247 and enter meeting ID 977-6634-1226 to unmute, press star six. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand using the last three digits of your phone number or by name if available for those accessing through the web link. You'll hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. For either method of participation, please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Is there anybody present that would like to speak at this time? Thank you, Chair Gibrando. Me again. Um, I know it's incidental, and this is not a central issue, but I have done the calculation on um, the relative greenhouse gas impact of going electric versus going with gas. Um, even with DTE's current fuel mix. Um, the city OSI calculates a conversion factor um, that takes into account that fuel mix as it currently stands, which is a very dirty um, you know, mix of coal and natural gas and a little bit of renewables and nuclear. Um, but even with that, um, it, you are still, by my calculation, 50% cleaner by going electric, you know, 
than going with gas um, to generate um, an equivalent amount of heat for residential. And that has a lot to do with the fact that um, there are upstream methane emissions um, with uh, natural gas consumption and also a lot of CO2 that's consumed in the, in the fracking process. And the studies are out there, you know, I see them in the course of my work. Um, and if you uh, include all those factors, even now, you're still 50% cleaner going with um, electric, going with heat pumps, as opposed to gas furnaces. And that's, as you have pointed out, that's only going to get more and more, um, that's going to get better and better as DTE gradually, although not quick enough, um, retires its coal plants and adds renewables. So um, it's a no-brainer to me to, to do it. Um, again, I know that's not, a, that's not an issue that you're worried about. Um, you're th thinking towards the future, which is completely appropriate. But even in the present, this is the way to go. Um, I'm very grateful to staff and to the whole commission for taking up this, this issue. It's to your great credit um, that um, you know, you're breaking new ground. Uh, on this, at least in Michigan. And uh, it's tremendously gratifying and exciting uh, from my point of view. So, um, you know, what can I say? I really commend all of you um, for going in this direction. So thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else present that would like to address the Planning Commission? Anybody in the queue virtually? Just give it a few moments. Nope. Okay. Item number 10, Commission Proposed Business. Commissioner Mills. I'd like to propose that, um, Mr. Leonard, if you could add on to the bottom of the work plan for the Commissioner discussion. Mills, I'm all out of note-taking paper. <laughs> I can tear off the corner of my paper where I've put some two stars next to things. Um, the next time we look at the work plan to see where um, modifications to the conflicting land use buffer fall in our priorities. And this is probably a longer one and I defer to you whether this is something that the comprehensive plan will take up or not. But the calculation of density by bedroom or FAR versus by units um, would be, I think, help get away from the six bedroom units all the time. But we can talk about priorities later. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, we are on adjournment. Motion to adjourn. Commissioner White, seconded by Commissioner Dish. All in favor? Aye. Aye. We are adjourned.